All right, so we're continuing in our series on Acts 1 to 7. Stephen Dunn, would you like to read the sermon for us, uh, the uh, passage for us all? While Peter and John were speaking to the people, they were confronted by the priests, the captain of the temple guard, and some of the Sadducees. These leaders were very disturbed that Peter and John were teaching the people that that through Jesus there is a resurrection of the dead. They arrested them and, since it was already evening, put them in jail until morning. But many of the people who heard their message believed it. So the number of men who believed now totaled about 5,000. The next day, the council of all the rulers and and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, By what power, or in whose name, have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of our people, we are being questioned today because we've done a good deed. Are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? Do you want to know how he was healed? Let me clearly tell, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the power, by the powerful name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene the man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. For Jesus is the one referred to in the scriptures where it says, the stone the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else. God has given no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. The members of the council were amazed when they saw the the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign, and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So they called the apostles back in and commanded them never again to speak or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Do you think God wants us to obey you rather than him? We cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. The council then threatened them further, but they finally let them go because they didn't know how to punish them without starting a riot. For everyone was praising God for this miraculous sign, the healing of a man who had been lame for more than 40 years. As soon as they were freed, Peter and John returned to the other believers and told them what the leading priests and elders had said. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign God, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, 
You spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, this has happened here in this very city for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hands with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After this prayer, the meeting, the meeting place shook, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Then they preached the Word of God with boldness. All the believers were united in heart and mind, and they all felt what they, and they all felt that what they owned was not their own. So they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There were no needy people among them because those who owned land or houses would sell them and bring the money to the apostles and give to those to give to those in need. For instance, there was Joseph, the one the one the apostles nicknamed Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He was from the tribe of Levi and came from the island of Cyprus. He sold a field he owned and brought the money to the apostles. Thanks, Steve. Okay, I just want you to imagine something. You're at work or uni, it's your lunch break, you're sitting in the cafe with some friends, talking to some people. You get onto a religious discussion. You start talking about Jesus, you talk about how much you trust in him, how you know he loves you, how he's forgiven you, and how he brings love and forgiveness to others too. Next thing you know, you're being hauled in front of your boss or the dean or whatever, someone on authority, and you're told, we've heard that you're talking about religion pushing your ideas on other people. That's just not on. You've got to stop or there's going to be some consequences. This sort of thing does happen from time to time. It's not that frequent in Australia, but it does happen. And, of course, in some countries it happens a whole lot more. So what have happened to you? Think about it for a minute. What do you think your response might be? What do you reckon? Merely stating what I believe to be true. <laughs> Not necessarily telling others to have to believe. Mm-hmm. Well, it has happened to me before. Yeah? What did you do? Um, well, basically, I just got a a education department resource document out, Bible reading program 1974. We had this two-day pilot program inspection in the first school I was teaching in, and they had um, regional structures there, and the regional director wanted to know what was that Bible doing on my desk. (laughs) How did you respond when he asked you? I just said, oh, well... I'm just using the 1974 Education Department <laughs> Bible reading plan. <laughs> <laughs> Very Every good. Every time you get a change of government, you should be bound to get more.
<laughs> nice. What else would others, what would others do if they got told to stop talking about religion by their boss in their okay, lunch break? Uh-huh. And I, I don't know what the circumstances would be, but I would hope that I would stand up for what I believe in. Yeah. I think I know what a common response would be. I reckon some Christians would probably just not want to rock the boat. They'd want to settle down with the religious discussion, stay out of the limelight, stay out of trouble. I reckon that's one response that would be common. Another response that might be pretty common is to get angry. I can imagine myself saying, you can't tell me what I can and can't say. I can imagine getting angry at it. So it's actually quite a challenge when I consider how Peter and John and the early church community reacted. The way that the early church community reacted is quite different from how people often react when they're faced with persecution. But that's the story of the early church community in so many ways. They often stood out as different or unique. They just didn't fit the mould. Take a look at verse 24. When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, for seeing everything in them. And now, O Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done through the name of your holy servant. After this encounter with persecution, the early church community didn't hide away, stay out of of trouble. They weren't silent. But they didn't get angry or violent either. They did something different. They prayed. And remarkably, they didn't pray for what might seem the obvious thing. They didn't pray for their own personal safety. They didn't pray that they wouldn't be persecuted. They prayed simply that they would be courageous and continue to speak about Jesus openly. In my medical work, I frequently look after people dying of cancer. Many years ago, I cared for a woman who was a faithful Christian who had one health problem after another. There was a blood clot, spread of cancer to her lungs and spread of cancer to her brain. She just couldn't seem to get a lucky break. And one day I asked her how she dealt with the consistent, the ongoing admissions to hospital. And this is what she said. I don't pray that God will cure me. These days my prayer is that every time I'm in hospital, I have a new opportunity to speak to someone about Jesus. And I spoke to the cleaner yesterday. That was an answer to prayer. So she didn't pray for what would seem like the obvious prayer. Her request wasn't the normal request you know, for healing. There's something different about this woman, isn't there? She didn't fit into that normal mould, just like the early church didn't. The early community of Christians who were persecuted in Acts 4 were different than most people. They had a different perspective on life and therefore had different goals. Their goal wasn't personal safety, wasn't good health. Not that these are bad things. Obviously, safety and health are good things. But they just weren't the things that they were thinking about. They had a different goal. And so they didn't need to worry about their safety. Whether they were safe or not didn't change the goal that they were aiming for, the goal of speaking boldly about Jesus. So that's the first thing about this early community of Christians that stands out as different. The second thing is no less remarkable. Look at verse 32. They felt that what they owned wasn't their own, so they shared everything they had. 
It's funny, from a very young age, we learn to think of things as mine. Matthew, when he was little, had this little ukulele that he loved to hold and sway and pretend as he played music. One day, his friend Josiah came over for a play and saw the ukulele. And of course, Matthew noticed that Josiah had his toy. So Matthew ran over to it, and there they were, pulling and grabbing, trying both to grab the toy at once. When that happens, you can't reason with a toddler or a teenager. Toddlers don't get it when you say something like, share it, take it in turns, you can both have a go. If they want something, sharing's out of the window. And actually, we're not that different as adults, are we? We're just a little bit more polite about it. Mind you, toddlers can be quite thoughtful in their sharing. I'm sure you remember, Nicole, all the times Matthew tried to share his half-eaten pear or apple with us. But in general, if we're honest, we recognise that sharing is not a strong, a strong aspect of humans at all, whether toddler or adults. So here again in verse 32 is another example of just how different and unique this early church was. They shared everything, caring for the needs of others. What an unusual way that is for people to live, to share everything, to always care for others in needs. Like the prayer of boldness rather than the prayer for safety, this is also an attitude thing. I don't think there was a legalistic expectation that everyone sold everything they had and gave all their money away. Their sharing wasn't an oppressive rule that they had to follow, that they were required to obey. Rather, it was an attitude that swelled out of their heart from within because they weren't having the attitude of having to build up wealth, of having to get stuff, have more things. That just wasn't how they were thinking. Wealth accumulation wasn't part of their purpose. It wasn't part of their mind. How different is that from the norm? What a challenge that is for us, for me. These early Christians had hearts that were all about caring for others. And so because of that, they were different. They stood out as unique. Actually, as I reflected on this uniqueness this morning, it's, um, I thought it's one of true love that's cast away all fear. Loving God with their whole hearts that they would worship him without fear publicly, even when threatened. And these early church members were loving their neighbour so much that they would, without fear of their own poverty, share all they had with others. That's a unique way to live. And it's a call on all of us from God. There's something really important, though, about this unique way of life of the early followers of Jesus. And the important truth is this. The followers of Jesus didn't start different. They didn't start unique. It's not how they began life. They weren't always unique like this. You go back just a few pages in the Bible, and there's a totally different story told. For example, just a few pages back in John 18.25, there's the story of Peter on the night before Jesus died. This was only a few months prior to the story we just read in Acts 4. Meanwhile, as Simon Peter was standing by the fire warming himself, they asked him again, You're one of his disciples, aren't you? He denied it, saying, No, I'm not. But one of the household slaves of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Didn't I see you out there in the olive grove with Jesus? Again, Peter denied it. 
In Acts 4, you can see how different Peter had become since that night in John 18. In Acts 4, Peter stood up praying to God that he would be bold so that he could keep speaking about Jesus no matter how much pressure he was put under. What a contrast to John 18. Only a few months earlier when Peter was denying he even knew Jesus because he was so afraid. Likewise, take a look at Luke 9.51 which tells this story. As the time drew near for him to ascend to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn these people up? In Acts 4, we see a church with John in it and James in it that is sharing everything with people everywhere in a beautiful act of love. But only a few months earlier, these same people in Luke 9 were calling for a storm of fire to rain down and burn up a people. What a difference in only a few months. Yes, the early church was completely unique and different from the rest of society. But more than that, they were completely different and unique than how they had been before. They had changed from their old selves. Somehow, for some reason, they were transformed to become entirely, completely different from what they had once been like. Acts 4 is beautiful because it shows people that have transformed, that have changed. Nicole and I travelled to Egypt about 20 years ago now. Egypt's famous for two of its great landmarks. What are they? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, natural landmarks. The Nile. The desert. The Nile and the Sahara Desert. It's quite incredible when you're standing there seeing the barrenness of the desert everywhere and then all of a sudden, along an invisible line in the sand, everything becomes green and lush and beautiful. The contrast is remarkable. This oasis of greenness really stands out and when you see the transformation in the desert like this, it's obvious that there is some amazing underlying reason for this greenness. Underneath all the grass or the reeds in the soil, there's water. And that water changes everything. When we look at the followers of Jesus in Acts 4, they stand out, different, transformed from the rest of the world. This transformation should raise the question, why? Why were they so different? How had they become transformed? What's the water that was underneath them that made them so unique? What do you think? Pentecost, the Holy Spirit poured out. The Holy Spirit in them? Yep. Total life transformation, just like you showed in those scriptures there in John eighteen twenty five and Luke nine fifty one. How else could you explain such a character yep. change? Yep. Absolutely. So I reckon what you said, Neil, is spot on. And there are probably lots of different ways we can look at it. But I reckon in the end, it boils down to two simple reasons. One reason relies on human endeavor and action. And the other reason relies on God's intervention. Firstly, 
knowledge of the truth and reality of the risen Jesus and therefore faith and trust in a faithful God. And secondly, the presence of God's Holy Spirit among the followers of Jesus, changing them, giving them new hearts. Faith was essential for the transformation to occur. Jesus had told his followers that there was only one way that they could be forgiven and come to know God and receive life that would be eternal. The one way to know God was to know Jesus, to trust and believe that he was from God, that he was God's son with power and authority to forgive them. If these early Christians completely trusted and believed this, that's how they could become different. If they didn't believe it, why would they be different? Why would they be wanting to speak about Jesus and worship Jesus if they didn't believe what he had said? But they knew what Jesus had said was true. They believed everything that Jesus had said because they had seen him die and rise back to life again. The early Christians had faith in the reality that Jesus was living with them and that he would one day, that they would one day after they had died, return to life too like him, to live eternally in God's presence. The early Christians knew this was true and so they could be different. They were free, free to allow themselves to be transformed because if this thing about forgiveness, resurrection and eternal life If this was true, then safety and health and having lots of material goods in this life wasn't important. It didn't really matter ultimately, because in the end, they would be with God forever, regardless. So that's one reason, their own faith. But there's another reason why the followers of Jesus were so different and had transformed. They were different because God had taken away their old hearts and replaced it with a new heart. Their old selfish nature was gone. Their new nature had been shaped by God, by the Holy Spirit who was among them, who lived in them and filled them. Take a look at verse 31. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. It was God who had ultimately made them different and transformed them. Think of your own faults, your own failings. If you're like me, and I'm sure you are, Sometimes, no matter how hard you try to be better, you fail. You can't do it on your own. It's so hard to get rid of bitterness, to get rid of hatred, to get rid of lust, to get rid of pride. I need God's help for that. I can't do it on my own. God spoke about this hundreds of years before Jesus was on earth. In Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26, this is what he said. I'll give you a new heart. I'll put a new spirit in you. I'll take your your old, stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. Jesus also spoke about this on earth himself. He called it being born again. Take a look at the verse John in John 3. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. When someone's born, they're transformed. A baby goes from being a person enclosed within a womb, not needing to breathe, to eat, to becoming a transformed being into a person who breathes and eats. Being born is a huge transformation. And although it can be painful and long, it's the second greatest thing that can happen to a person. The greatest thing, of course, is being born again. Not a physical birth, but a spiritual birth 
where God changes the heart to make a person really alive, to live for eternity, ready for that. So these are the two things that made followers of Jesus different and transformed from everyone around them. Complete trust that Jesus is alive and a new heart, a changed nature given to them by God. These are the two things that we need to make us different. Without these two things, we'll never be unique and different from the world around us. So let me finish by asking a couple of questions for reflection. The first one is for Christians, for followers of Jesus. It's a simple question. Are we different? Have we been transformed? Is my goal in life to speak boldly about Jesus wherever I go? whatever I'm doing, whoever I'm with? Do I have faith in the reality of resurrection and eternal life to the extent that I'm not afraid of poverty? Not constantly focusing on things, but instead I'm focusing on caring for others, sharing what I have. It doesn't necessarily mean that you and I are going to emulate the early church, doing exactly the same things that they did. That's not the point. We're never going to be an exact replica of the early church early followers of Jesus, because we live in a different time, a different culture, a different place. But the principles are important. Followers of Jesus will be different because they have faith in the reality of Jesus and eternal life with God. Followers of Jesus will be transformed because the Holy Spirit has changed them, changed their hearts, made them new. So I look around at people here. And I think you are different. You are different. That's encouraging. There are a lot of people here that look different to me than the average person in the world. One day Jesus is going to say to many of you, well done, good and faithful servants. Second question is for anyone who's not a Christian, anyone who hasn't really thought about following Jesus. And that question is, maybe today or tomorrow, well, this week, spend some time thinking about the story in Acts 4. You can see that the followers of Jesus, the early church, were different from those around them. They weren't interested in vengeance. They weren't focused on staying safe. They cared more about caring for others than they did about building up piles of treasure for themselves. Something had transformed them. Do you want to be different? Because God can transform you too. Jesus can give you a new heart.